Welcome to the History of North America. I'm Mark Vinette. Walter Raleigh was an English statesman, author, soldier, explorer, and a favorite courtier of England's Tudor queen, Elizabeth I. One of the most notable figures of the Elizabethan era, he played a leading part in English colonization of North America and helped defend England against the Spanish Armada. He was the younger half-brother of North American explorer Sir Humphrey Gilbert and a cousin of Sir Richard Grenville. In 1594, Raleigh heard of a city of gold in the New World and one year later sailed across the Atlantic Ocean to find it, publishing an exaggerated account of his experiences in a book that contributed to the legend of El Dorado. Let's learn more about Sir Walter Raleigh's first crossing of the Atlantic from our friends at LibriVox. Sir Walter Raleigh and the Quest for El Dorado Gold was the beacon that lured the Spaniards to America, and dazzling stories were told by them of the riches of the countries they explored, stories illustrated by the marvelous wealth of Peru. It was well known that Cortes had not obtained all the treasures of Montezuma, or Pizarro all those of Atahualpa and many believed that these treasures had been carried far away by the servants of those unhappy monarchs. Guiana, the northeastern section of South America, was looked upon by the Spanish adventurers as the hiding-place of this fabulous wealth. Others fancied that Guiana was the true El Dorado in itself, a land marvelously rich in gold, silver, and precious stones. Gonzalo Pizarro, in his expedition in 1540, had heard much from the Indians of this land of wealth and Oriana brought back from his famous descent of the Amazon marvelous stories of the riches in gold, silver, and precious stones of the land of the north. These stories, once set afloat, grew in wonder and magnitude through pure love of the marvelous or wild expansion of the fanciful tales of the Indians. Far inland, built on a lofty hill, so the fable ran, was a mighty city whose very street-watering troughs were made of solid gold and silver, while billets of gold lay about in heaps as if they were logs of wood marked out to burn. In this imperial city dwelt in marvellous magnificence a mighty king. The legend went that it was a habit of his to cover his body with turpentine and then roll in gold dust, till he gleamed like a veritable golden image. Then, entering his barge of state with a retinue of nobles whose dresses glittered with gems, they would sail around a beautiful lake, ending their tour by a bath in the cooling waters. Where was this city? Who had seen its gold-emblazoned king? Certainly none of those who went in search of it or its monarch. Of the Spanish adventurers who sought for that land of treasure, the most persistent was a bold explorer named Berreo, who landed in New Granada and set out thence with a large body of followers, seven hundred horsemen, the story goes. His route lay along the river Negro, and then down the broad Orinoco. Boats were built for the descent of this great stream, but the route was difficult and exhausting, and the natives usually hostile, and as they went on many of the men and horses died or were slain. For more than a year these sturdy explorers pushed on, reaching a point from which, if they could believe the natives, the city they sought was not far away, and Guiana and its riches were near at hand. As evidence, the Indians had treasure of their own to show, and gave Pereo ten images of fine gold, which were so curiously wrought, as he had not seen the like in Italy, Spain, or the Low Countries. But as they went on, the gallant seven hundred became reduced to a weary fraction, and these so eager to return home that their leader was forced to give up the quest. He sought the island of Trinidad near the coast of South America, and there as governor he dwelt for years, keeping alive in his soul the dream of some day going again in search of El Dorado. While Berea was thus engaged, there dwelt in England a man of romantic and adventurous nature named Walter Raleigh. 
He became afterwards famous as Sir Walter Raleigh, and for many years devoted himself to the attempt to plant an English colony on the coast of North America. On this project he spent much time and money, but ill fortune haunted him and all his colonies failed. Then he concluded to cross the ocean himself and restore his wasted wealth by preying on the Spanish treasure-ships, after the fashion of the bold Sir Francis Drake. But Queen Elizabeth put an end to this project by clapping him in prison on a matter of royal jealousy. While one of the Queen's lovers, he had dared to marry another woman. While Raleigh lay in prison, some of the ships of the fleet he had fitted out came back with a Spanish galleon they had taken, so richly laden with costly goods that the whole court was filled with delight. Part of the spoils went to the Queen, and another part to Raleigh, and when at length he was released from his prison cell, his mind was set on winning more of the American gold. The stories of El Dorado and its marvelous city were then in great vogue, for Boreo had but lately returned from his expedition, with no gold indeed, but with new tales of marvel he had gathered from the Indians. It was now the year 1594. Raleigh was but forty-two years of age, in the prime of life and full of activity and energy. His romantic turn of mind led him to a full belief in the stories that floated about, and he grew eager to attempt the brilliant and alluring adventure which Boreo had failed to accomplish. Though the Spaniard had failed, he had opened up what might prove the track to success. Raleigh had sent various expeditions to the New World, but had never crossed the ocean himself. He now decided to seek Guiana and its fairyland of gold. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-218-6010. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-218-6010. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-218-6010. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. A small vessel was sent in advance under command of Raleigh's friend, Jacob Whidden, to feel the way and explore the mouth of the Orinoco, which was deemed to be the gateway to the Golden Realm. Whidden stopped at Trinidad and found Boreo, then its governor, very kindly and cordial. But on one pretext or another, the treacherous Spaniard had the English sailors arrested and put in prison, until Whidden found his crew so small that he was obliged to go back to England without seeing the Orinoco. Whidden's report made Raleigh more eager than ever. He believed that Boreo was getting ready to go back to Guiana himself, and was seeking to rid himself of rivals. He hastened his preparations accordingly, and in February 1595 set sail from Plymouth with a fleet of five well-supplied vessels, taking with him about one hundred gentlemen adventurers in addition to the crews. A number of small and light boats were also taken for use on the rivers of Guiana. Many of their friends came to see the voyagers off. Flags floated on all the vessels in the harbor, and Raleigh and his companions, dressed in their best array, stood on the decks, as with set sails and flying pennons, the stout ships moved slowly away on their voyage of chance and hope. Raleigh followed the example of the sea-rovers of his day, committing what would now be called piracy on the high seas. Not long had the fleet left the Canary Islands before a Spanish ship was seen and captured. It was quickly emptied of its cargo, a welcome one, as it consisted of firearms. Very soon after a second ship was captured. This was a Flemish vessel laden with wines. These were taken also, twenty hogsheads of them. 
About two months out from Plymouth, the hills of Trinidad were sighted, and Raleigh's eyes rested for the first time on the shores of that new world in which he had so long taken a warm interest. Governor Berreo tried to treat Raleigh as he had done his agent, forbidding any of the Indians to go on his ships on peril of death. But they went on board for all that, and were delighted with the kind treatment they received. They told Raleigh that several of their chiefs had been seized and imprisoned in the town of St. Joseph, and begged him to rescue them. No Englishman of that day hesitated when the chance came to deal the Spaniards a blow, and a vigorous attack was soon made on the town. It being captured, the chief set free, and the governor himself made a prisoner. Raleigh, while holding the Spaniard as a captive on his flagship, treated him with every courtesy, and had him to eat at his own table. Here Boreo, who did not suspect the purpose of the English, talked freely about his former expedition, and gave his captor a good deal of very useful information. One thing Raleigh learned was that his ships could not be taken up the Orinoco on account of the sandbanks at its mouth and its dangerous channels. He therefore felt it necessary to leave the ships at Trinidad and cross to the mainland in the boats he had brought with him. One hundred men were chosen for the journey, the others being left to guard the fleet. An old galley, a barge, a ship's boat, and two wherries carried them, and a young Indian pilot who claimed to be familiar with the coast was taken along. Trinidad lies at no great distance from the mainland, but stormy weather assailed the voyagers, and they were glad enough to enter one of the mouths of the river and escape the ocean billows. But here new troubles surrounded them. The concept of El Dorado underwent several transformations, and eventually accounts of the previous myth were also combined with those of a legendary lost city. The resulting El Dorado myth enticed European explorers fascinated by the New World to believe that a hidden city of immense wealth existed. Numerous expeditions were mounted to search for this treasure, all of which ended in failure. Meanwhile, the name of El Dorado came to be used metaphorically for any place where wealth could be rapidly acquired. It was given to El Dorado County in the Gold Rush American state of California and to towns and cities in Mexico and Canada. It is sometimes used in product titles to suggest great wealth and fortune, such as the Cadillac Eldorado line of luxury automobiles. Eldorado is also sometimes used as a metaphor to represent an ultimate prize or holy grail that one might spend one's life seeking. It could represent true love, happiness, success, or paradise. It is used sometimes as a figure of speech to represent something much sought after that may not even exist, or at least may not ever be found. In this context, El Dorado bears similarity to other myths, such as the Fountain of Youth and Shangri-La. The other side of the ideal quest metaphor may be represented by Hell Dorado, a satirical nickname given to Tombstone, Arizona, USA, in the 1880s, by a disgruntled gold miner who complained that many dreamers had traveled far to find El Dorado, only to wind up washing dishes in restaurants. Join me next time as we pursue our search for the precious treasures of El Dorado. Check out the YouTube version of this episode, which has accompanying images. I'm Mark Vinette. And I hope you're enjoying the ride. Doctors endorse it. Nutritionists recommend it. 
and customers love it. Calotrin Healthy Weight Loss. Ron in Texas lost 35 pounds. Marie in Pennsylvania lost 117 pounds with Calotrin. Diane not only lost weight, but she also found relief from arthritis. Lynn lost over 45 pounds. Calotrin contains collagen, the most abundant protein naturally occurring in the human body, which decreases as we age. Taking Calotrin promotes better sleep, more energy, less joint pain, and best of all, weight loss. Calotrin has an amazing 86% success rate with their 90-day supply. And this week, take advantage of their President's Day sale. Buy the 90-day supply and get an extra month free plus free shipping. Ordering is so easy. Just text the word HISTORY to the code 30605 and we'll send you a link to this special offer. Again, text HISTORY, that's H-I-S-T-O-R-Y, using the code 30605.